we have a special guest today because we're going to dive into 50 years ago. The Oh, thanks yes. for making me feel so young. Well, not only that, he was here last week. Yes, so. and, and we told everybody you were going to be here. Uh, I'm Lynn Venhouse. I'm Carl Middleman. And I'm Ron Stevens. We're going to talk about David Crosby's new documentary, Remember My Name, and that'll lead us into Woodstock and Mississippi River Festival memories. Hi, Ron. Hi. Welcome. We're glad you're back. This documentary called David Crosby, Remember My Name, that's mm-hmm. the one we're going to talk about leading into Woodstock. It is good. It is by Cameron Crowe. I tried to say Well, he, he, he does rock and roll history better than anyway, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, I mean, he does. He's so yeah. passionate about music. And in my, my days of reading Rolling Stone cover to cover, hmm. I would know his byline. And so when he started making movies, when he went undercover, Fast Times at Ridgemont High... And I read that yeah. whole thing. And then he started making movies. And his movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. It isn't to say that he doesn't uh, hit a, you know. Have Elizabeth a, Town? I actually like that. Okay. But Aloha. Did he, do, oh. did he do Almost Famous? Yes. yes. That is? There you go. Yeah. Yes. So there's his mess. But he did say anything, too. Yes. John Cusack holding the, yeah. the you know, boombox. But, and then someone could some could say that after his marriage with, Nancy Wilson broke up that that's when he did Aloha and that's yeah, why yeah well you know he's obviously he's had hits or misses but you cannot deny his passion for music right and so he eschews that word mm. uh the talking heads that we've come to notice in all documentaries for him doing the interview with David Crosby and it starts out he's a car you don't even see him you don't even know you don't see Cameron. David Crosby or Cameron Crowe. No, Cameron Crowe. Cameron the cameras, Crow. The camera's on Crosby the whole right. time. Um, Cameron so Crowe. Well, eventually he inserts Similar himself. to Last Waltz. Right. That style. Right. But what, what's good is because, you know, as a journalist, you're not supposed to make yourself part of the, right, yeah. the story. And Michael that's, Moore. Yeah. And that's what he does. And so good. And it's just David Crosby, who is a candid person. He's 72 at the time of the uh, movie being filmed because now he's 78, I think. Wow. Oh my God. Which is amazing. And he has eight stints in his heart. Oh. A new and, liver that paid for by Phil Collins. And, Did they talk about that? Yeah. Um, they talk about his health stuff, but okay. they don't say it was paid for by Peter. But he had something. Oh, his sailboat was paid for by Peter Tork. Huh. Peter Tork. <laughs> the say, monkey's Yes. Out? Peter Tork pays for his sailboat, and uh, Phil Collins pays for his liver, and then uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge pays for his sperm. Yeah. Do they talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like he's just totally uh, unfiltered. Does he get political? Because he and Ted Nugent have been uh, yeah, well, fighting he was, on Twitter. He was kicked out of the birds because of politics, and they show they do an animated version. It's kind of weird. But when when the birds tell him to come up, like uh, the beginning of the movie is all about uh, David Crosby's riding with Cameron Crowe in a car, uh-huh. and they're just talking, and he leads them through his whole career. It's a whole career arc. How but, long is that? Um, so they talk about the birds, and they talk about CSN. Yeah, and they talk about that, but oh, they but, also... But are you saying that that becomes the basis for the storyline, too, yeah. for the whole... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah, the yeah. whole, the, the, the right. whole 90 minutes, they keep... Starts there, yeah. Yeah, and, okay. and then he drives them to Laurel Canyon. He goes, this is a house I got fired in, 
and uh, from the birds. And and so then they have this animated version of uh, David Crosby being told by Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman that we don't want you in the band. But it also has Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman in it, so talking. it does have a few talking heads. D- does that that animated version work? Yeah, it was weird though because all of a yeah. sudden it's like okay. Well, you know that yeah. that fascinates me. Having made a documentary, I'm always fascinated by how do you f- tell the story? What do you have available to you? And is what you don't have available where you have to get creative like that? You have to find something visual to keep the viewer there to illustrate the story as you're telling. Because if you if you want to tell something and your subject is not talking about that, you have right. to lead them You've into do it. Something, yeah. And and even if they talk about it, and you have. You don't have a, di- a visual documentation of someone being fired from a no. major rock band. So you, you, you don't want to just, unless the looks on their faces and the, and the, the pregnant pauses and the, the drama of that mm-hmm. is so good, and it usually isn't. So right. you do have to resort to some technique to show the story. So did they, did they, did they have them recreate it and then do it animated? Or, did, or is it just David telling the story? It's David telling the story. Because oh, if they have... If they have Hillman and McGuinn, they could have just thrown yeah, in lines. Voice well, these lines, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Hillman and McGuinn tell their version of oh. what they were. And Crosby, for for any, if, whether you like him or not, and I'm a big fan, CSN was my jam in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they he's totally honest he's like yeah i was a jerk i totally <laughs> deserved. To he was he was he was later. talking well, yeah <laughs> he's talking about he, he's got a lot of regrets so I he's like, got a like i'm i'm of the three i think i like stills the best and uh, I don't Stills. think I don't think that uh, David Crosby likes Stephen hmm. Stills. I have actually liked Graham Nash b- better. Oh, so Graham! There yeah. you go. I've always his voice, his work with the Hollies, mm-hmm. his solo albums. If uh, if I were a king, was wasn't it called? Uh, I wish I wish I no, to be something a king, something about. I've got to sing it. Now you have to sing it. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Chicago, the song called Chicago. mm -hmm. God, great song. I I saw his, I saw Graham Nash in the 80s uh, solo, and he was really good. But I've seen them in all different configurations over the years. But uh, are the other three in the film? Are are Nash, Young, and Stills in the movie? Yeah, but they're not, none of them are talking to each other, I guess. (laughs) Or or it's, you know, but it's. uh, It was not the best time to talk to all three of the others. Yeah, well. What does Neil say? I I don't know. Uh Neil, you know, Neil's, as much as I love Neil Young's uh, vocal and uh, abilities, writing abilities. Um, you know, how many times did he go off? Yeah, you know, he's not with the band. He's with the band. Yeah, he's he had not his with own the band. thing. Let yeah. me ask you this. How many other documentaries have been done about supergroups? Because that's what you had. You had a right. supergroup mm-hmm. with them. Oh, yeah. And that was a phenomenon. That continues today. I Four mean, it happens. Street. Artists love to... Con- Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, Deja Vu, that album, it takes you right back. I'm sorry, yeah. it takes me right back to my dorm. Well, <laughs> you know, it just is like... Just it just so nails you. I've asked you the question yes. now three times. Yes. What do the other three guys say about David Crosby? Well, 
Um, I think you should watch the movie. And really? Then you can, uh, they, then you oh, can so it can't the, be any yeah, good. Yeah, no, no. He's not talking to a lot of people. Let's put it like that. Yeah, but, but you know what happens. They, when you get to 70, once you're there. You don't care. You don't care. You're going to say whatever you, what right. you're going to tell yeah, the truth. Yeah, but those guys right. are 70 also, so they That's don't care I mean. either. They're all going to say it. That's my point. It's make it interesting. Well, they're in the movie Echo in the Canyon, which we watched. Yes. And uh, Crosby came off the best of anybody in that movie. And because he's just he's just honest. <laughs> So he talks about, because now he's had a career, well, Cameron Crowe calls it a career renaissance, and uh, he's on tour. He goes on tour, and uh, it's about how he doesn't really want to leave home, but he's driven to music, and and it's it's very, if you are um, a music fan, you will love this documentary, because it focuses on the music and the magic of them singing and i defy anyone to listen to helplessly hoping and not think that's one of the best harmonies they've ever heard now when you have we're living in a time of bohemian rhapsody rocket man there's going to be a lot more of these mm-hmm. this is trending they're it, trying to get it, these guys before they die that plus the stories are strong. Mm-hmm. There, there's a piece of American history and rock history, music history, and these guys want to do a part of it because they know that yes. this will sell more music and they'll make Absolutely. more money. So the motivation's all there. What What would you love to? What would be your holy grail of uh, either uh, music biopics or biopics? Well, if they say, if they ever made the uh, the Led the Zeppelin story. Oh yeah. Or uh, I, I, has there, I mean, I oh. can think of. A handful of movies that were purchased, written, mm-hmm. you know, research, the whole thing that never got made. Right. Oh, there's so many of them that, you know, Hollywood every year, they're, uh, you, you know, we talked about Alan Winkus and Lee Savage mm-hmm. and, and uh, Straight Outta Compton. It's an accident that, and it's pure luck that that one got through because most of them don't get through. For example, there was uh, probably, it was in the eight, mid 80s, two studios were fighting over the rights to. Uh, what's his name? Who did I fought the law and the law won? Bobby Fuller. Bobby Fuller, who was murdered, brutally murdered. There's a oh, you great could do story you could there. do the whole uh, Bob Cuban story. There you go. Yeah, with uh, oh yeah, the lead singer with Walter Scott. Walter yes. Scott. Yeah, uh, yeah. These stories are there. So in that case, one studio had rights to the music, and the other studio right. had rights to the story, and they could never get. But together now there on are it. only five companies in the world. Yeah. So they, does that make it easier or harder? It probably uh, makes it easier. I because hope. they're all under one umbrella. Yeah, I think the Led Zeppelin good. story would be good because then you have a nice ending point when John Bonham dies. And that's only 11 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 11 years, only 11 years. That's well, a lifetime. In but music. I'm saying, that's yeah. what I'm saying, from yeah. ni- 1968 There's to 1979. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's in there with the birds and with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So it's just, I mean, the yeah, guy. But the weird thing is that Neil Young is not a part of that. Neil Young is in as yeah. Neil Young, but it's it's Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but not Neil Young I as know. part of that. I know. It's, it's weird. Well, I don't Neil get Young that. Neil Young was always an outlier, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. All, yeah. Canadian. Even with his own group. Yeah, there you <laughs> right. go. That's why. But, oh, Harvest and, and all that. But the music, that's what my favorite part of this was, was just the whole music. And then he talks about meeting the Beatles, and he talks about Jim Morrison, how he, he goes, that began my dislike of Jim Morrison. And it's <laughs> fun to hear all that gossipy stuff. Yeah. You Nobody know, from likes, the, you know what, the <laughs> doors are not really that well thought of anymore. They've no. fallen out of favor. No, and this getting uh, leading into Woodstock, uh, the stories that Graham Nash 
and David Crosby have told are really reflective of that whole experience because Graham Nash didn't like to talk about Woodstock. He would say, don't ask me about W. And I think <laughs> David Crosby said that. Refers he refers to it as W? Yeah, yeah, he said he didn't remember it. Probably. I watched a, C- I watched a CBS uh, little, uh, little package on this, and they interview Graham Nash. He's one of the people that's a talking head. And he was like, now he's okay with talking about 50 it? 50 years later. Yeah, but he said he didn't remember much. <laughs> well, like, and I think there was quite a few drugs. I heard uh, Billy Joel went because he was a New York guy, and he just took his motorcycle up there. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was already there, pretty right. much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, the any, uh, any photos of, of him there? That would I, be a trip to see. Oh, don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, in the movie, uh, I haven't watched the PBS documentary yet, but apparently that one couple that met at Woodstock, yes. they said they never had any pictures, and then they watched this PBS documentary, and there, and there they are, and so they mm-hmm. had them on the news, all you know, gray hair and in mm-hmm. the field. And now, did they get married? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're been still married. alive. Yeah, they're, they're still made. It's amazing. All these couples are still together, and uh, it talks about uh, the whole purpose of the CBS one was about how it was this one. We are one world. You know, the boomers. It was uh, there was no crime. David Crosby brings that up. There was no robberies. No, you know, it was just peace and love. It was peace and peace love. Peace and love. Yeah, but, but there what, were a lot of drugs. What interests me is that that was 1969, mm-hmm. the same year that Easy Rider came out hippies and easy rider was a similar story mm-hmm. about a generation and a counterculture but it was the darker side of it and it was the side that showed the sex the and resistance the, to it well the, the sex in the uh, cemeteries they they yeah. weren't necessarily those hippies weren't necessarily good guys there you go and and, and they encountered um pushback be kind pushback <laughs> yeah and so so we saw in the same year I was going to I was going to equate Woodstock as I told you last week to the Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse cartoon, Club. cartoon Club, which came out in the fifties. What nineteen fifty five ish? Yes, okay. I watched right. I watched it uh, religiously. Well, no, that's when Disneyland opened. So was it before? Well, that? actually, that came on first, and they used that to promote the opening of Disneyland. Okay, it was like re- weekly so f- reports. Fifty four. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that was followed by. Uh, what was it called? In Living Color Disney. Wonderful World, World of Disney. Disney. Yeah, which right. was Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. So On all three networks. This is why I equate it's them. Spin and Marty. Spin. Oh, man. <laughs> My friend Flicka. The, the double. No, it was the double. It wasn't the double D ranch. It was the. Uh, what was the Spin and Marty ranch where they did that? I used to know yeah, these Double things. D would have been a little problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe <clears throat> double R. But, uh, you know, Mos- something, yeah. Musketeer roll call. But the reason I the reason I equate Woodstock with that is because I remember in '69, I was in college, mm-hmm. and I remember, you know, knowing about Woodstock as all of us did. You were aware that it was coming this week and next week, and these all of us are going to gather there. And I say us because in spirit, so many people today say they were there that weren't. Yeah, they think they were, and in, and in spirit they were there. Right. I, I recognized at that point in my life the exact same feeling I had when I was six years old and Mickey Mouse Cartoon Club came on. Mm-hmm. And the feeling was, we're special. The, my, the people my age, we've, got, we've been given something, we've been recognized as there's a reason why we got our own TV show now because we have something special about us. That's the way I felt. 
I felt it first for the first time on the Mickey Mouse Cartoon Club, and then I felt it again when the Beatles came out. Because you were all watching Sunday night. That's right. And I realized this is for me. This is a this is a band that was part of me. And Ed Sullivan was for the uh, older people. See, there's the difference right there. There's the difference on both of those shows that changed with Woodstock. We didn't need adults to put on Woodstock. We put on Woodstock. We were responsible for that. Half a million people. Right. Whereas we needed Disney. We needed Walt Disney for that TV show. And you had two adults there, too, Roy and... Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy Dodd and Roy. And Roy played guitar. Exactly. Uh, It was uh, October 1955 was the first movie. There you go. Okay. So, So I recognized at 20 years old when Woodstock happened that something special was once again happening to my generation. And at that point, I recognized it as the counterculture that it became, that we were creating our own culture. And it was because of that that I had an interest in going and working at KC Radio. Not as much the music as the movement and the feeling that it brought for me that all of us are this community that interestingly lives on all these years later, which is why at 50 years of Woodstock, everybody's talking about it. There are many things that happened 50 years ago that we don't talk about that don't matter. Well, do you think they'll talk about Altamont in December? No. Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. They'll and, bring and it you know, up. Altamont is the easy writer of, Woods, of the, that whole thing, you mm-hmm. know? Right. Well, there were a lot of festivals then, and uh, I've been watching a lot. That was that was what you did, Mississippi River Festival, which we've talked about before. And it it has uh, interesting, the Belleville News Democrat, which I still write news and features for, every time they do an article about MRF, it is the highest clicked article people the the documentary something in the water Mm -hmm. like the early days of kc and mrf there was a feeling then it it was a uh and and i'm not sure if the other generations have that communal feeling but we really did i know this sounds so cliche but we really did think we could change the world Mm -hmm. and every time i hear the song ohio i want to protest something Uh, but but we did think we could change the world because we were the first generation to get 18-year-olds to vote. We were the first uh, generation. We stood up against the Vietnam War. We caused all these things to happen, and music united us. The The people that were on stage at Woodstock, I remember everybody had that album, that double album, mm-hmm. and with the couple that's on the front that yeah. now they've still yeah. been married forever. Mm-hmm. That was, what do you call rite of passage? That was a touchstone. My college, because I went to college in 72, we would have this thing called Rites of Spring, and they would, the student body people, president and stuff, they would spring this outdoor concert on a Friday afternoon, and everybody would find out, like, hey, Rites of Spring is this afternoon on the quad, and they would have all these music acts. And uh, they would always have people from Woodstock. They had Richie Havens one year. They had Country Joe and the Fish, the Fish Cheer. Everybody remembers that. And they would have all these groups that were from that period because they were legends because they were, you know, and Arlo Guthrie when he said, Mm -hmm. hey, the freeway is closed, man. And Arlo is still running around performing. Yeah, he was just, uh, was he just at River City? I think um, he might he, have been. Or at the Sheldon. Possibly. The, I yeah, I think he was at the Sheldon. Yeah. yeah, he goes to the Sheldon a lot. He was at the Mascuda of Homecoming a couple of years ago or something like that. But um, 
Yeah, but the the Who was also there. Santana was also Janis there. Janis Joplin was. In fact, uh, to, are we talking about uh, Woodstock? Yeah. Okay. Well, Jan, they were all at also at Mississippi River Festival. Yeah, the yeah. who was? Yes, they yeah. were. Wow. Yes, they were. That was Janet the Chaplin. biggest crowd ever at the yeah. MRF. Was yeah. the who? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing, and a plug for Mississippi River Festival. Jack Tweston, who did camera for the Casey documentary that mm-hmm. I produced, for the last four years, he has been interviewing every living artist who played it at Mississippi River Festival. Wow. And right in the next room, the next studio over here, mm-hmm. he's editing right now. Really? After four years, and it looks beautiful. Did he talk oh. Did he talk to Pete? No, I don't think he got anyone from The Who that I know of. I mean, I've, I've seen, of course, he didn't get Janice because she's right. dead. But uh, he's, he's got some amazing uh, artists in there. Well, the come, Jan- in, the, come in and look at it. Come in the and The Janice thing, is that, this, is that the story that they cut her off and then she played in Forest Park the next day? No, no, that was a keel and that was... Uh, that was in '68. Okay, that, that happened. Well, the uh, the St. Louis Globe Democrat, which I'm an alumnus of, uh, they had a reviewer go, and he left before Bob Dylan came on stage with the with the, I forget the band, maybe it was the Grateful Dead. So they got because <laughs> you know the reviewer left before all of a sudden, hey, Bob Dylan's here, <laughs> you know, and so. But no, those people all became legends on their own in the '60s. But the fact that they were at Woodstock. Just a little. Shana now was at Woodstock. I know. Yeah, isn't and, that strange? I mean, and, it was, and yeah. so was uh, uh, Sly, Sly and the Family Stone. And Melody, or yeah. Melanie. They yeah. cut people out of the movie. Uh, John Fogarty, Creedence Clearwater Revival is not in the well, film. Well, that, that, the people that were in the film became superstars. The people that got cut out of the film, besides CCR. Well, some of them were on the album that weren't on the film. Right, the film but too. if they were not in the film or on the album... They went to obscurity. That's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, at MRF, um, the first concert I saw at MRF was Shanana, and the Guild opened for them, and the Guild featured Michael Michael McDonald. McDonald. Yes. But you know, Shanana, they parlayed that into another fifteen years of stuff. They they hired um, what was her name? Um, her last name is Berger. Um, a redhead female. Mm -hmm. To, to do the lead vocals for the last 20, 15 or so years of, of their career. You know, in mm-hmm. the eight, starting in the 80s. After the Bowser 90s, left? Yeah. She, she came and she was great. He was. Well, that spawned, that whole thing spawned the nostalgia craze, yeah. which, you know, George Lucas did American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, right. they were in Greece. They were in Greece, and then they had the mm-hmm. show. But usually, it's a twenty-year thing. That's why Friends is so popular right now. Yeah, twenty-fifth right. anniversary. It's twenty. It's about twenty years. Then that's how. Right. Like uh, yeah. yeah, we. Well, like you, go, half- you go through a period where you're like, oh, uh, if you, I want enough. You say anything about the '90s, I, I cringe. You know. Mm-hmm. But then, then it comes back around because those the people who lived it, they grew up a little. They have kids, and they start to be nostalgic. Do you remember the that. Office? Yes, I remember The Office. I somebody asked me that. Have you seen you The Office? I'm the like, office, yeah. Right. I, I watched it every Thursday when it was on, and so yeah. But that those are twenty years. No, those are ten years old right now. Yeah, some yeah. of those episodes. So Woodstock uh, reflected. It was a big touchstone that reflected the culture at the time, but also that it. it what you said about individuals being inspired. Mm-hmm. I think it led to a very creative period in music. And I mean, I know there were a lot of drugs and things there. And look, the Janis Joplin, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix, and uh, Jim Morrison, all same period. 
and they all died in the same age. Right. Yeah. So, so that's you know that's a, a weird thing. Supposedly, Roger Daltrey did not take any drugs before the Who was on at Woodstock, but he wanted to dr- drink some tea and it, it was the Grateful Dead tea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, and and some of the acts I will say some of the acts weren't that good. No, the sound that nothing was ready. The guys that right. were making the it that, was sloppy. It was awful. That's why Richie Havens went on for three hours because nobody was ready, and that's why yeah. it was him and he made up the song "Freedom" while he was on stage. Wow! And John Sebastian played for a long. He went yeah. out there and just you know like killed time basically. Well, also uh, Hendrix was scheduled to be last that was in his contract that he was he got paid the most and he and which was only eighteen thousand dollars only but he that's why he went on at eight o'clock in the morning on monday because he had that was in his contract he had to be last no one else could go on after him and there were since it was monday and people had to go back to work of the four hundred thousand people there only ten percent of those people were there to see hendrix do you know who his manager was was it uh uh, Alice Cooper's manager was it? Uh... It was Chaz Chandler, the bass player for the Animals. Okay. Managed Jimi Hendrix, and he also produced the Animals' first album in his living room. He rented a four-track machine. Go back and listen to that first Animals album. Sounds like. And Hendrix. you go, there's no way that thing was produced in a living room, and it was. He he produced some of Hendrix's music, and he actually played uh, only had bass three albums on <laughs> on uh, all along the Watchtower, but I think it got dropped. But. Mm. Uh, he was managing Hendrix all the way to his death, and then the next group he managed was Slade. Oh, I love Slade. Oh, yeah, yeah, I wish Slade was bigger over here. Yeah, it's amazing. I, you he made tried, him very big in England. You tried to make him big over here. Tried. In fact, that's why I know this stuff, because when I went to London to do a radio show for two weeks in 76, Chaz Chandler called me up and said, I owe you a favor. So he picked me and Joy up and took us around to the, you know, mm-hmm. London is all private clubs. The bars closed down at dark, and you know right. it's like if you're not in a private club, you're not going anywhere to drink. So we went to good uh, thing you knew Chaz. Yeah, he picked us up in a gold Rolls Royce convertible and drove us around mm-hmm. London all wow. night long in the middle of July. It was so much fun. Get down, get with it. <laughs> I love that. I, oh. I just love Slade. I wish they were yeah, huge they were, over here. Yeah. I well, might have had the a noise Slade was album. Made bigger by uh, Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot. There you go. But it made him a lot of money. Yeah. Well, yeah, the uh, the uh, reverberation, that's why I like what you said. Well, Bob Heil was the sound guy for the Who's. And so. he created, Bob Heil created that system of delayed sound to, to sync the sound up. If you were in the back, without that sync, you were hearing this echo. And by time, by time the real noise got to you from the front speakers, it didn't match the back speakers where right. you were, and it was a mess. And he created that because of uh, MRF. And the uh, the lighting at Woodstock was really bad. So John Fogarty said he couldn't see beyond first couple rows, but then he heard somebody way in the back. He went. They went on at two thirty a.m. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young went on like three a.m. Oh, at Woodstock, crazy. because yeah, everything Woodstock. was just so. It, it was so chaotic it was not and messy. Well done. And then they had the big rainstorm, and then th- in that movie, the documentary, the three-hour documentary that won best documentary at the Oscars mm-hmm. that Martin Scorsese was one of the editors on they have that whole sequence with all the mud and all and that the, happened at Woodstock in 94 also aha uh-huh. well, they canceled this year's yeah I just don't think you could recreate things well too, but too however, much liability however we uh, and every generation after us has spent the last 50 years trying to recreate it right mm-hmm. 
and and I mean they did ninety four wasn't bad ninety nine was the one with all the yeah. uh, assaults. But I mean every every outdoor concert right since Coachella then has South been by Southwest or yeah. uh, Burning Man all of those are they're basically well, Burning Man's not really a concert it's more of a an event. It's more a of, lot a, of them, a city. Yeah, that's a good point. But a lot of them have become, you know, corporate, of course, in yeah. that you're going to pay four or five hundred dollars. Oh yeah, for, it's you know, it's oh, for Burning Man. It's at least a couple grand just to get in. My daughter just went, so that scares me. Is and, this, isn't it this is this week or is next it? week? It's it's she's going. I think. I thought. So. I'm I'm not sure because yeah. a friend of mine always wanted to go, it's and then we saw long. how much we, it cost to go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it I, is I expensive, go. and she's always wanted to go. And it's well, I, I mean, can I, if if she's always wanted to go, then she should go and get it out of the way yeah, while right, she's young. Yeah, yeah. yeah true. My my uh, youngest son went to Coachella two years in a row, and my daughter's he, gone to that. Yeah. And uh, they camped, as you should. And I said, uh, "Where did you shower?" And he goes, we "Well, there were these trucks hosing people down." That you went inside. There were showers in these trucks, and so I was just. Yeah, but you're you're yeah. not in your twenties. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. yeah, I know because they yeah this they didn't is when do he was that 20s. at Woodstock either. That's yeah, that no iconic right. photo of the blonde, beautiful blonde girl, nude, in the hitchhiking rain. to New York, out of Woodstock, mm-hmm. says it all. You know, it, it didn't matter to them. It was love and peace and music. And, and they and they went into the the little ponds and stuff yeah. to clean and everybody and cleaned each and, other. Yeah, there, there is no way anything like what uh, could happen today. Well, it's, no, it's too much liability. At any level. And then that's part of what this MRF documentary is about: the fact that you could go to Mississippi River Festival. A, you didn't pay to park. Hmm. B, you paid five dollars to get in to see the Who oh, and Janis oh, Joplin. Um, I have ticket stubs, so um, they're two and three dollars for the two lawn. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You could bring a bottle, a glass bottle, a six pack of beer. You'd sit down. Cr- you know, open up your beer, light up a joint, and sit there, and nobody bothered you. It mm-hmm. did not, It was fine. You had blankets. And that worked, and no one got hurt. It was fine. But, but today, they're not. No li- they no. weren't litigious back then. Well, that, yeah, exactly, exactly. No corporation owning a business like that today would even dream of doing that. You couldn't, because, you couldn't afford yeah, the insurance. Couldn't. Exactly. On the, uh, I, I have a couple Plus, books. you wouldn't make as much money because you want to sell that beer. Right. Okay. I was just going to say, I have that book about MRF, and they list all the all the acts. And so, you know, every night was a different act, so there's impossible to see them all. But when you list, one time I was telling uh, my youngest son, who's really into music, because he's been to Pitchfork and everything, and, and, and I named off all these people I saw, and he goes, Mom, I don't recognize the names of any of them. Isn't that amazing? And it's scary, isn't just, it? Because Jackson Brown opened for America. Jim Croce opened for Loggins and Messina. Uh, and Pointer Sisters opened for Chicago. And Dan Fogelberg was there. And uh, so was Joni Mitchell and, and people like that. But Fool's Gold opened for Dan uh, Fogelberg, who's Eagles. Fool's Gold, that was a Casey classic by Michael Bolton. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, when I was, you know, so all these groups that we just flocked to, Seal and Crofts, you know, it was well, like yeah, the... Actually, actually, I think at the time, you went whether you knew the group or not. Right. You assumed it would be good and you were always happy. Did they announce it? Oh yeah! Oh but, yeah! But you, they, had schedules. They, they didn't have to be getting airplay to be there. They just had to fit. I mean, this was a university. Right. This started as 
orchestras only, symphonic music. Yeah, it was the St. Louis and, Symphony. And it was on a whim. They said, why don't we bring in some folk singers and bring in some something a little hipper? And went all the way to the Who. Wow. Harry Chapin was there. And uh, the uh, uh, Jim Croce played there a week before he died. Hmm. And that, and and when I say Loggins, I'm seeing people go, well, "Who is that?" It's just so. <laughs> it's, it's Kenny Loggins. I know it's, it's just Danger so, Zone. I know it's just so interesting yeah. that and that Jim people Messina. don't know who these people are. But yeah, the symphony started. It was under a tent, but then you had the lawn seats. Right. The only time I sprung for tent seats was for Donna Summer in 1979. Well, oh, first, that would have been time great. I went. First time I, I went, I had lawn seats, and I went all the way up to the stage to watch Janis Joplin get drunker and drunker as she sang. No one stopped me. I uh-huh. just walked on up there. And, the, you know, it's not that they didn't have security. It's just that nobody thought something's going to go bad here. You know, there's a rule you have to follow. No. You want to go up and get close and see for a few minutes? Go ahead. My mother was like, I heard there's people having sex out there. Well, they, know, were. They, they were. They were. <laughs> and, they were. And so I was like, oh, no, Mom. You know, I, I don't see anything. And so, you know, <laughs> it's it just. It I just, didn't join in. Or... <laughs> but um, I had friends that were in the squad. I forget what their name was called. But they were the, the security people at SIU, the student volunteers who went in and helped with all the overdoses and yeah. and all those things. And Acid there was Rescue a name. was there. Yeah. Acid there was Acid Rescue. That was the and, name of the company right wow. and so there's all these stories about yeah. all the behind the scenes there is only a plaque at siu yes that marks that that's what i was just going to get to this documentary opens with jack and his crew going through the woods at siu campus it's woods now mm-hmm. it's covered with trees that are full grown and walking through there and finding that plaque uh, which I don't, there's probably plaque somewhere else too, but right there, there's the acid, the end of the acid rescue booth right next to the stage. And you can see where the stage used to be. And that acid rescue thing is still there. Yeah. It became corporate. It, it, uh, in When 80, was the last one? Um, 80. I don't know. That's a good question. 82? But yeah. yeah by then it was, by then it was no fun. Yeah. Just, no, it was very corporate and they raised the ticket prices. Was that really your high fault, Ron? And, Did you help with that? And I had nothing to do with it. Really? No, I, I rarely well, went. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying, but she had nothing to do with it. Really? Casey, um, uh, they bought advertising every now and then. They mm-hmm. didn't really need to. They were, they were on the Casey calendar. We right. had that way back then. But no, we, we well, really... I'm not saying I'm not saying your fault. I'm saying no. because back Casey in 1981 would have been all about this. Oh, oh yeah, but uh, it was it, while this was going on, we had so many. You know, we had the Rolling Stones at Keele Auditorium. Right. We had the Who at, at the and Queen at the arena. You know, we had a lot going on. It was on just in this another town. concert. This, yeah, it was, and it was far away. It was a 45-minute drive. It was in Edwardsville. The Nederlander organization took it over, took the booking over. How'd they get Donna Summer in 1979? She was queen of disco. Oh, yeah. It was well, a, they, they, they were able to, because they were a university and because they weren't in a major market, they were in Edwardsville. They it, weren't really St. Louis. It gave them, right, yeah. So could they, well, nowadays you would say, okay, you can do this college, but then the next day you're going to do the Fox Theater. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I think they were careful about that, but they could still book the Fox Theater, and mm-hmm. you know, it would uh, maybe be a few months later. We didn't or, have the venues back uh, back then you, that we. Well, do yeah, the now. Fox. You had no. Mississippi Nights, and you had the Checker Dome, and the Fox didn't reopen until eighty two. Right, you had the American Theater, the Ambassador Theater, you had uh, 
Keel Opera House and Keel Auditorium, right. both. And you could book shows, you know, not the same night, but right. within a night of each other. And you had the arena. And you uh, you didn't have the Sheldon then. You didn't have... Scheifetz. Yeah. Or... Right. Um, and, and but you, like had, said, you had yeah, plenty you of did. places. And there were... Yeah, but the lot. but the arena was the only one that could hold more than fifteen thousand. Yeah, people. well, then by seventy oh, yeah. seven, seventy seven, we had Bush, oh, right? So we Bush could Stadium. do Super Jams, yeah, right. Well, and you know how that came about in the, our last Casey Kite Fly. What was that? Seventy six? Was that 75? Kiss or Rush? You know, it was Rush. Rush and Charlie Daniels, eighty thousand kids there. Well, we realized we're not going to get away Can't with this. Can't do again. that again. So I I got I got the short straw. So I had to call up the his name was Tom Walsh or something Walsh, Jim Walsh, who who was the manager of Bush Stadium, ran the stadium. For and, for Gussie? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I called him and introduced myself, and he just says, I know who you are. So I thought, okay, <laughs> points. Good. Good, good. So, you know, we just did that, uh, the, the kite fly, and we had 80,000 kids there. He goes, don't even think of it, Ron. I know where you're going with this. I said, well, you know, you only have 40, you can hold what, up to 40,000, you know, we can have control. He goes, you can't hire enough police officers to handle this, Ryan. I said, okay, that's a good point. Take a guess how many police officers we had for 80,000 kids. And he said, you must have had hundreds. I said, we had two, one on foot and one on horseback, <laughs> and they were bored. And, and, and you know what? He still it was, wouldn't do it. It was federal. And so. Yeah. And he, but he, he wouldn't give in. But within six months, Irv and Steve talked to me. They did it. Yeah. Because they, because well, here's money how talks. much money you're going to make money. Yeah, Contemporary right, yeah. productions. Well, they, they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew way more than I knew. You know, Mark and I, Mark Close and I produced all those shows. And, right. and we didn't know what we were doing, but we didn't have to know then. Irv, you know? Steve, and Steve, they knew. Yes. Yes. And, and uh, they've proven that many, many times over. <laughs> My favorite line of Irv and Steve, uh, Irv Zuckerman and Steve Shankman with Contemporary Productions. And, what, and Steve Lippman. Was Steve Lippman at the time was. He wasn't, he wasn't up front like they were. I mean, okay. it started well, it with. Well, it was Irv and Steve. Yeah. When they built uh, uh, Riverport, they, they realized, and this, I, I don't know the exact words, but it's a great line. They said, We don't have a concert venue. We have St. Louis's biggest bar, right? And we're here to sell beer. Mm-hmm. And they knew what worked. Now, all they had to do was fill seats. I'm, the ticket prices were irrelevant, right? That's they why they paper s- the house so much. That's right. I'm going to be at Luke Bryan tomorrow, and it is going to be eighteen thousand people drinking lots of beer. Exactly. So it's a gold mine. Well, yeah, I'm not. That's what it's become. That, that's yeah, a good I'm transition not, from the Woodstock thing to that. That's where. Right. That's yeah. what it is now. Well, the early in the early '80s, this is pre-MTV because MTV arrived on our cable here '82, a year 81. later. Yeah, '81. Right. Well, they didn't um, even have they didn't even have cable where where the studios were in 1981. Right. If where they were going, they could not see. Where they were broadcasting from, they could not see yeah. MTV. So, yeah, because I got cable in January of 80. You must two. live in the county because we in the city didn't have it until much later. I know. I lived in the country. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we were one of the first. We were ahead of, yeah, we were, well, we were one of the first families to get cable. And then I had everybody over to watch Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel in Central Park. Central Park, Park on HBO. On, yeah, because, and everybody's like, ooh, you have cable. But getting back to St. Louis, early 80s, uh, you too came to Graham Chapel. Yeah. 
And in fact, the last con, the not that the last, was another venue. Yeah, Washu campus. Yeah, and uh, at the 2011 U2 concert in Bush Stadium, Bono read the set list oh. from Graham Chapel. It was a hoot. And the police played at Mississippi Nights, and they drove a station wagon. Yes, I've heard, I've heard the, that story. You know, and uh, Huey Lewis in the News was at Mississippi Nights. So Everybody there, was at Mississippi Nights. Yeah. there was Nirvana a, played Mississippi Nights. So the story is they played to 25 people. Yeah, it was. A, so the early 80s were a lot of those small venues well, when it had, was just— You, you had uh, the Almond Brothers, of course, when they were still Almond Joy. And, right. And, uh, what was it? The name they played under? Uh, it's uh, it's it's on the uh, box set. <laughs> yeah, um, our our glass. Okay. I mean, they were playing, uh, you know, all the smaller. They were still clubs playing. Even, yeah, and, they were and, still playing Ramblin' Man and. Uh, yeah. but, Elizabeth but as the Almond Brothers once they made it, they played the Collinsville Ballroom. I mm-hmm. mean, they played and so did Fleetwood. Oh yeah, Mac, what was that? What was that? Version of what was that bar over on the other side of the river? Benelled Coliseum was another one. Yeah, people yeah, would Benelde, play there. Benelled. Yeah. 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 What are you? So so and the reason being, I. I mean, I, I looked at this, thought about it a lot. Uh, I was actually asked to give a talk on it once because it is interesting. Uh, it, it is the something's in the water phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The fact that St. Louis was such an attraction to artists. And there was a combination of things. Casey did play a role in it, but it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't the only factor. Bob Heil played a major role in that because a lot they of wanted, fans they from around to see the world him. said, if we're going to tour America, we got to get through the Midwest. What's the closest city to Bob Heil? St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So they would get toured. Plus, we had excellent promoters in Irvin Steve. We also had not excellent promoters like Ron Powell, but Ron Powell picked up the stuff that Irvin Steve wouldn't take. Right. Back then, Ron Powell was doing Ted Nugent because Irvin Steve wouldn't have anything to do with him. So... You know, there was a lot of that going. Uh, there was plenty, plenty to go around, but it, the the fact that St. Louis had this perfect storm of things that applied to rock and roll, and Casey consequently became well known around the world, which is really the only reason they picked me to go to London in '76 to rec- represent this country for radio. I mean, God, for the bicentennial. Think about the people who should have gotten that, mm-hmm. not me, but Casey made it. Casey Kasem. Or yeah, like a Scott yeah, Stevens thing, exactly. Or Rick exactly. D- Rick D's. Rick D's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think in '76 Rick D's was anything yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, '76 he was Disco Duck. Disco Duck yeah. came out in '76. Yeah. Larry Lujak. Larry Lujak, God, God, there it is. The god of radio disc jockeys. In Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, because I went to college with all these Chicago kids who talked about Larry Lujak all. Is that animal this. stories? I, I have his book. He wrote a book about those years, and it's fun read is that animal stories is that what he used to do i don't know i always i always hear about these chicago jocks and one of their bits was animal stories mm. i don't chicago know chicago radio always in my mind was the best radio in the country all, i don't know why the, they got that but they did i would like the to loop say t-shirt the iconic loop t-shirt that radio yeah. station that was the loop and then the guy that had the hate disco night at the socks about, um, steve. steve steve yeah i worked with him for a week um, for a week. Yeah, well, it, it was at WABX <laughs> in Detroit, which was owned by Century, also in Casey. And they flew me up there to spend a morning, you know, a week with him. In the, he was doing the morning show. Steve, Steve. <laughs> come on. Yeah. You, were you, we're not gonna, no, we're not going to look it up. We're going to use our he, brains. He, he was not. Disco a, Demolition Night with If anyone Steve. is still listening, they're going, come on, man, you know it. I know, but we can, you can he use our brains. He was not well thought of as a DJ, though, was he? He was kind of a jerk. You know, I mean, people liked to listen. I mean, you know, he was, one, he was a jerk like 
J.C. Corcoran was a jerk. He has a lot, legions of followers and lovers. So, you know, you can't yeah, knock that. Yeah, that's true. And you know. Howard Stern. Yeah, yeah. right. They're all the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're, all right. you're right. Well, You're so, looking it up. He's I looking am. I'm it cheating up. now because because yeah, I was. can't. I I can't recall it. I'm sorry. It just July 12th, 1979. Steve, come on. What are we doing here? Why Why will no one mention the guy's name? Because we remember Steve. We remember yeah, that much. And it. we remember the night it happened. All the records burning yeah. and everything. Steve Dahl. Steve yep. Dahl. You got it. Ha, okay. Good. Yeah. Yay. And he and I at the loop. I spent a week up in, in Detroit with him uh, when he was on WABX, and at the end of that week, he quit and I quit. We both quit. We didn't know. Neither one of us knew we were going to resign. Within a week of that week, we both resigned, and Sentry thought that we conspired and did that, and hmm. we didn't. We It just happened. Damn it. Dead silence. How about that? Well, yeah, I, no. I'm still trying to look up, but as, as you said it, Steve Dahl's name yeah. popped up. Do you think the VP Fair, when it started, and now Fair St. Louis, tried to get that vibe of the Mississippi River Festival? No. Or then, or you think it was always very corporate-driven? Um, VP, VP Fair, Fair, I think, was simply trying to young up the act. They were trying to appeal to a younger generation because VP Pairs did uh, VP the Veil Profit thing was pretty old much people. dead. Dead by old people, yeah, mm-hmm. and they needed a way to do that. And there's no doubt in my mind that. Shankman and Zuckerman didn't approach them and say, you know, I mean, I'm sure they did and said, hey, here's something you can do, you know, make this better. Uh, I, I suspect it was that way, not the other way around, where they said, okay, we need to get young acts. Who do we get to get them? Because those guys were aggressive. They and got they Elton did. John. They had the yeah, Beach Boys. I was there. Stuff. Yeah, the yeah. Beach Boys. Uh, Linda Ronstadt. Bill Cosby. And uh, uh, Bob had, Hope was the first year, and it got rained out. And uh, there Maroon was a- Five still owes us a free show because Maroon Five was supposed to be at one of the Fair St. Louis's, oh, and right. the show yeah. got rained out. Yeah, I remember that. And then, yeah. then, but they- it was wasn't it soon after that though that they 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 sold the sold it to the people who did um, uh, the thing in Forest Park. What was that called? Uh, Lou, well, no, Lou the- Fest. Wasn't it? No, no. Fair St. Louis. They, they, Fair St. Louis went to Forest Park as the downtown grounds were being rebuilt. Yeah. So I, I think the I think the I think the VP Fair people still own it. Well, there was some there was some politics going on there at the time, where they were the the people who booked anything downtown lost rights to book anything downtown. Gave it to someone. Well, yeah, that right. was because of Lou Fest. Yeah, that was because of Lou Fest. Right. Lou Fest was, they gave away the rights so Lou Fest would make sure that they got all the right. acts. And then Lou Fest yeah. died. Fizzled. Oh, that was horrible. So are you yeah. going to change the name of this podcast to, to uh, Woodstock uh, MRF? Woodstock Tangent, MRF. Tangent Radio. Yes. <laughs> well, I was gonna, guaranteed to go off on as many tangents as I was going to tell her can. to wrap it up eight minutes ago. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. But, but, but you hold the controls. You still can. I we, still have DVDs. Except, except for the fact that... Uh, I was actually interested in everything that was being said. Yeah, no, this is why we promoted you. I actually said it yesterday, or I don't know, one of these days when I said, When were you on the air? When we're going to talk to, oh, I talked about it last night on KTRS too. I said, we're going to have a KC legend talk about (laughs) Woodstock with us. So this was, you know, this is where the, everybody is doing specials on Woodstock. Mm. And so this is our little mini special but uh, we do have some other There's movies. only there is only one 
DVD. I, you're going to mention a whole bunch of other ones. There is only yeah. one DVD out right now. It is Avengers Endgame. Everything else is tertiary. Avengers Endgame. If you've not seen it, if you've been waiting for it to come out on Blu-ray, <laughs> well, guess what? You've already been spoiled. Everybody dies. It's fine. Okay, so the the one the the indie movie All Is True is about Shakespeare, and it's directed by Kenneth. Or no, it's starring Kenneth Branagh. Okay, and so that's one if you like those artsy, art house movies. And then I am very intrigued by this movie, and in fact, I think I might rent it. But I've got too much to watch this weekend. So it's called The Professor and the Madman, and it stars Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. Whoa. If that isn't enough to intrigue you, it is about the guy who was asked to start the Oxford Dictionary. Sounds actually interesting. Yeah, it does. And so that's the professor. And so he solicited this publishing company whenever when they first started. They did this on Drunk History. They, they they solicited for the uh, the dictionary this and, uh, guy in an asylum. It was played by Tony Hale on Drunk History. Oh my wow, God. so Tony not get the real story. Yeah, well, yeah. So, but th- th- it was Drunk History probably did it better. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, <laughs> I I'm not sure who's playing the professor or the madman, but this guy in a, a sane insane asylum sent ten thousand word entries to the professor. Yeah. So the professor and the madman. So I'm very intrigued by this. Yeah. And so we'll see. I didn't look at I any knew, reviews. I or... knew I knew that story. Yeah. And now I remember how. So I on Drunk History. All right. So this what comes out? Yeah. And, and then we yes. also have Drunk great. Uh, Netflix. I will say two things because we're interviewing Marlon Wayans next week. You uh, are. Yeah. He's playing six parts in yes. this new movie on Netflix. Sex Tuplets. And it dropped today. So you can watch it. Are you going to watch it? Uh, yeah, I have to. Okay. Because I'm interviewing him on Wednesday. I like Wednesday. Marlon Wayans. He's yes. a very likable guy. I do too. I interviewed him before. And his family story, the Wayans family story, is is fascinating. It's an American success story. Yeah, yeah. That, that should be a movie. Yeah. When I interviewed him uh, a couple years ago when it was the sequel to one, The Haunted House 1. Scary movie. He was delightful. Or, or Haunted House. Yeah. <laughs> I got him talking about his family and th- that just... His brothers so and sisters. And he talked about how when Keenan Ivory Wayans, his older brother, was on The Tonight Show, how the family, they were very poor. They had a whole bunch of they kids. They watched him. They watched him on a tiny black and white set in the oh, kitchen, wow. and they all sat around and watched him. I would want to know what their parents were like. Oh yeah, he had stories it's, about it's his not parents. Not the Jackson family. No, no, no. no. Yeah. But he said his 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 dad and mom are. He said our job is to keep them from not killing each other. <laughs> so I think that's kind of tells you it's like you know this yeah. it, it was. But look how many of them are famous and comedians. Yeah, right. yeah. So this is about he and the, and the second generation too. Now Damon Wayans wow. Jr. is doing and it's very the best well. thing that happened to Jim Carrey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm well, get you, um, sucker. In living <laughs> color. Chris Rock is in that. Chris oh. Rock is the is the guy, and I'm gonna get you, sucker. Chris Rock is the guy who walks into the uh, the rib store and says, "How much for a rib?" And then, uh, oh, I don't, I'm not paying that much for a rib. I don't need a whole slab. I just need one rib. How much for one rib? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "How much for a soda?" And then he's, he says, "Oh, I don't. I, I gotta pay for the cup." Oh no, no, just put it in my hand. <laughs> and then they, so he gives him one rib and a splash of soda. Mm-hmm. You got change for a hundred. <laughs> and that's Chris Rock. Good pipes. Good pipes. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, you know, speaking of in living color, David Allen Greer, uh, yeah. J Lo, 
mm-hmm. uh, was a fly girl and of course Jim Carrey. But uh, uh, my kids, when they found out I was going to interview Marlon Wayans, and I think this was maybe five years ago, they said, tell him that you've seen... Uh, White chicks? Uh, no, drink your juice in the hood. Uh, Don't... Yeah. Yeah, that it's, one. It's a really long name. It's a parody of like all of the African-American oh, okay. Watts, uh, yeah. Compton yeah. stuff. So Tim said, tell him that you've seen that movie 50 times. And I went in and I said, my kids told me to tell you that I've seen... The title of the movie a hundred times, and he just laughed. And so then we started off on the family. But he's coming to St. Louis to talk to us about sextuplets. He plays an expectant father who finds out that he's a sextuplet. And so he and one of the— Including a woman, one of them— there are five boys and one girl. And and he uh, teams up with Russell, one of the sextuplets. Which is also him. And they go around the country finding the other one, hope to f- hook up with all the... And one and, of them needs a... One of them's in the hospital and needs like a kidney or something. And he plays all the characters. Mm-hmm. So I can see that. It's Eddie Murphy doing the clumps. Yeah. So it's Netflix and it starts tonight. And another thing, if you like Mind Hunter about the FBI behavioral mm-hmm. science... A division that started David Fincher is responsible for this series on it, it dropped last night and I know people that watched it at midnight last night just well, because it's mm, so wow. fascinating speaking of Eddie Murphy my name is Dolomite is going to be great that movie that he's doing for Netflix is you probably remember Dolomite from the uh, 70s it was, it was it was exploitation at the time and it's based on a real thing that happened in like 1973 and Eddie Murphy is going to star in this movie, and I think it looks fantastic. It's for wow. Netflix, and well, it's, it's nice to see Eddie Murphy getting into yeah, stuff, and also man. yeah, getting jobs. Um, <laughs> getting get, jobs. Well, Mind going to do a stand-up special. In, getting yeah. jobs. Yeah, well, that's right. And David Chappelle's next stand-up oh, is going to yeah. be on Did you Netflix. See the promo for that? Yeah. With uh, what's his name? That voice of God, um, doing the. I didn't it's, see it's running on social networking right oh. now. Didn't see it. Um, who's the Morgan most, Freeman? Morgan Freeman does the voice on it, and he's hilarious. And really? it's, it's David Chappelle on a desert, just walking along in this barren land. And then there's and, Morgan Freeman and the, with the voice of God in there. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Well, my, well, real quick, Mind Hunter is going to have in season two. They're going to do the Son of Sam murders. Okay. They're going to do the Charles Manson murders. And they're gonna the Atlanta child murders. Mm. So so those are just the little few little tidbits. So I'm looking forward to it. And um, getting back to uh, what editing, yeah, that she doesn't know about how self editing works. Um, that we're already we've at proven one that. hour. We've proven that an hour ago. Hour I know. Well, we're not minutes. gonna t- we're not gonna talk. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we ran out of air in the studio. Right. It's starting to get dicey. Yes. In here. Well, real quick, two things. Uh huh two things still going um Go i'm sorry but yeah, and we, we wonder gotta... why she's late for stuff yeah well she's telling a story um the uh patrick swayze documentary is on sunday night on the paramount network at eight o'clock and his wife produced it and okay. uh so yeah so it, there's it's all over if you want to find out about it it's 8, 8 p.m on uh, our time the paramount network which i don't watch so i gotta find it and then <laughs> dax phelan from a uh, kirkwood i talked to him for an interview today for the Times newspapers. And he's making the movie called Kirkwood mm-hmm. this fall. And he it's gonna be a thriller. And his dad, former cop, is the story gets a story credit and Dax 
wrote the screenplay and he just had some unfortunate things happen where his executive pr producer died two weeks ago Ew. and another producer has health problems so he can't help it so he's looking for someone to help produce on this end st louis to be here hmm. to help with it what and can i do yeah and so so he's looking for people and i said hey i'll mention it on our podcast so he wants at the to end involve hour and 45 yeah. yeah okay so i'm just saying okay. he's 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 available on social network but you can also let me know right. and uh that's our wrap up for the week okay oh. since you've gone an hour and 45 minutes yeah let's do this okay. let's give something away right now anyone ever made it this far mm -hmm. don't don't ever don't promote it no if someone makes it all the way to this part point, mm -hmm. they deserve it. They deserve a prize. A free lunch at Fountain on Locust. Okay, lunch at the Fountain on Locust just for one person. Mm -hmm. They can bring a friend, but they're getting one lunch yeah. at the Fountain on Locust. That's good. Or a copy of the Casey documentary. Okay. That's not for everybody, so you know if they prefer that, we can do that. All right. Okay. What they have to do, what you have to do is this. You have to email prize, P-R-I-Z-E, at onstl.com onstl.com and say you heard the very end of the podcast and you want to claim your prize the first person to first do one that, first one all right there sounds goes. good i love thank this. you I ron thank carl you. Where, where where can we hear you you can hear me on well you can hear me next week i'll be on kmox you can also hear me on kftk news talk 91 wait hold on let, let me say it right fm news talk 97.1 kftk and you can hear me every Saturday night on KTRS on the Big 550 with the Max on Movies show. I'm everywhere. He gets around. That's good. St. Louis needs that. Uh, good yeah. for you. Until, the, until can... one finds out about the other, and then I'm going to have to stop yeah. doing everything. Well, we, we, <laughs> we in, this, in this media world, we all have to have side hustles mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's the only way we stay in front of the public. So I'm in the timesnewspapers.com. <laughs> I'm in the bnd.com. I am on KTRS every Thursday night, and I do a lot of uh, – I teach at Edwardsville. I'm Limelight Magazine for theater, so – on all the socials, and you're on the socials too, Ron. On STL. On, on STL, where we're giving away every week, we're giving away concert tickets. Really? You go to, uh, just go to the Facebook page, O-N-S-T-L, on STL's Facebook page, and, you know, follow it, mm -hmm. like it, and then you will get these in your news feed. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the next one is, but... Every week, there's 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 a lot of concerts in town. Probably Wick, Rick Wakeman is next. That just that was just one yeah. on sale. Frontman for yes. So thank well, you, Ron. No, and, and no, 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 keyboardist for yes. He's not the frontman. Okay. He's the guy that oh, wore the John, capes. John but, but Anderson. A, yeah, right. But he's I'm a frontman for Rick Wakeman now. So. Yes, and it's, it's him on stage at the Sheldon on September second. Is he going to wear a cape? Probably. Yeah, he loves that. Well, he loves he's a big capes. guy. You know, that, that cape is a tent in another life. <laughs> That's so funny. Right. So, Ron, we appreciate you running us on OnSTL.com. You can find our podcast there. But they know that if they're listening to it right now. Yeah. All, All right. Basically. Say goodbye, Lynn. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>